All right, well, if you have your Bibles, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2, and we're going to read uh, the first 13 verses. Paul says this to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as he preached, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also, he will, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So in chapter 2, Paul is uh, going from the negative when he told um, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy, to the positive now. When he says, be strong in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, as we look at this letter, uh, we see the intimacy of this relationship that Paul has with his spiritual child, uh, Timothy. He calls Timothy in verse, in, uh, chapter one, verse two, my beloved child. And in chapter two, verse one, my child. Um, no, he's not Timothy's, uh, physical father, but he is his spiritual, uh, uh, father. And he, he sees Timothy as his own son. And so, again, Paul is uh, letting us in on that uh, the intimacy of this relationship. Now, in verse 2, um, he talks about discipleship. Verse 2, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Church, we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to make disciples. We are to reproduce ourselves in the faith. 
And uh, I could make a whole sermon uh, out of this verse right here, and I don't have time for that this morning. But it is important that we pass the faith along. Who are faithful among us? Who do you know that's faithful that you can pour yourself into? Um, this is so critical for the um, for the mission of the Christian is to pass on the faith, and uh, and no more so than your own children. As parents, we have a, a responsibility to pass along our faith to our kids. And uh, no, we can't coerce them. We can't make them Christians. But through our influence, through our lifestyle, through our love and nurturing of them, uh, there ought to be a desire in them to, to be able to follow in the footsteps of our faith. And if we, I've said this before, but if we make um, church attendance optional for our kids, guess what? When they become of age and they have children of their own, they're not going to just make it optional for their kids. They're going to think it, it be unnecessary. You know, there, there got to a point in my kid's life where they stopped asking their mom and dad, are we going to church tomorrow? You know, they just knew that, you know, church was a way of life. And you might be thinking, well, you're one of the best pastors on staff. You know, you've been in ministry all these years. No, it should, that ought to be a way of life for everyone, not just for those who are in the ministry. Kids should not have an option about whether or not they should, can, can attend church, even as teenagers. They need to be expected to be there with mom and dad. As long as you're feeding them, as long as you're giving them a roof over their head, if they come back as adults and stay for you as, as well for a while, guess what? Church ought not to be an option. They, not, they need to be coming with you. You don't just send them there. You bring them. You set the example. So... Enough said about discipleship. I could go on, but uh, Paul has more to say. Paul talks about being strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. Um, there's two halves to this verse in verse 1. One is to be strengthened, and the other is by the grace of Christ. And as we walk through this passage... Um, Paul pretty much spells it out for me as to how to how to outline this passage. He gives us three examples in uh, verses um, three through six of uh, what it's like to be strengthened, and then he gives us three uh, illustrations or of how we are to be uh, how it is to be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's two halves. Um, Strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. So let's look at what strengthened, to be strengthened, looks like. Again, he gives us three examples. And uh, it has to do with a field in each of these examples. Paul talks about the battlefield. He talks about track and field. 
and he talks about the, the farmer's field, the agricultural field. And in this first example, in verses uh, 3 and 4, when he talks about the soldier um, to be strengthened uh, means not to be a mediocre soldier. Okay? He's talking about a good soldier. A soldier that is distinguished, decorated, dedicated soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul says in verse 3, share in this suffering. Share in the suffering, in suffering as a good soldier. My friend, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, you must be a soldier for, for him. And in being a soldier, that means that, guess what? Sometimes you're going to get shot at. Not everybody's going to like you. And sometimes it's even going to be friendly fire. But don't be shocked by this. There will be hardships. And Paul is imploring his son, endure this, Timothy. Don't be surprised. Don't run and desert. You endure to the end. And how are you to live as a soldier? What, what are you to be doing? No, verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You need to stay focused. God is your enlisting officer and you, you and I need to be living our lives in such a way that we want to please Him. We can't get distracted by the affairs of this world. Oh, we ought to be concerned about them and we ought to do things that will, um, uh, uh, influence them for the good, but our primary focus is the gospel and pleasing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please him. He is our commanding officer. Do you think of your life in that way? Do you have a desire to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be single-minded in this. The Christianity isn't about our own convenience. Uh, just being comfortable and allow and Christianity appeasing our nature. Paul says, you're a soldier, Timothy. We are a soldier, church. We are in this in this battle, we are on the battlefield. And we are not here for our own comfort. We are here to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Obey his command commands. He is our commander. Sometimes I wonder what we are projecting to the world. What, what are we communicating? Um, there was a church website that uh, uh, Dr. Kevin DeYoung talked about here at a conference I went to recently. And he pulled uh, these words, this, um, this advertisement from this uh, church website says this, 
What you'll find in this church, a casual atmosphere, friendly people who will help you find your way around, today's music, powerful dramas, high-impact media presentations, messages relevant to your daily life, an amazing children's space, Starbucks, uh, a Starbucks cafe where you can relax and recharge and relate in your comfort zone with a coffee in your hand, Saturday night extras, including more music, more food, cafe tables, and a Wi-Fi zone to soothe your inner geek. That you matter to God. I don't know, you know, but as I heard that, I was thinking to myself, sometimes our church is guilty of these, this type of advertisement. Now, it's, it's not all bad. I mean, we need to be, um, sensitive to those who are coming and we need to make this an inviting atmosphere. But sometimes I think we're trying to get across to people that we're begging them, please come. You're going to like it here. You're going to like Jesus. Just try it out. And in comparison to the SEAL code, the Navy SEAL code, there's a sharp contrast. You ever read the Navy SEAL code before? It says this. Loyalty to country, team, and teammate. Serve with honor and integrity on and off the battlefield. Ready to lead, ready to follow, never quit. Take responsibility for your actions and the actions of your teammates. Excel as warriors through discipline and innovation. Train for war, fight to win, defeat our nation's enemies. And lastly, earn your trident every day. You know, we can find descriptions for, uh, for, for both. But I think with, with the exception of earning your trident every day, I think the seal code has a lot more by way of biblical language and imagery than does the very hip church. Wouldn't you agree? We are in a battle, church, and we need to take this fight seriously. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier. And what is our motivation? Our motivation is to please our commanding officer. That's what it's like, Paul says to Timothy, to be strengthened. Like a good soldier. Not only does he mention a good soldier, but then Paul goes on to say in verse 5, like an athlete. An athlete who competes by the rules to win. Because he wants to be crowned. When it comes to the Christian life, it's not merely about uh, starting uh, starting the Christian life. But it's about finishing the Christian life as well. 
and not to be cheered by men, but to be crowned by God. Look at verse 5 again. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the world, the, the rules. We need to compete by what the word of God says, church. And we are not to approach or run this race like amateurs for just mere exercise. We are to run in such a way that we will be crowned, that we will win, that we will hear the, the words from our, our, our Savior, Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your salvation. That means we can't run this race at our convenience or casually. We need to compete According to the rules, we can't be living this life in such a way that it is going to uh, disqualify our Christian life. The world wants us to, th- to think that as long as we're uh, participants and, and we're all in this race of life, that guess what? We're all going to win. And that's not what the Bible says. That 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 language is universalism. And Jesus says the way in following Him is narrow. It's it's a little door, and we must pass through His door in order to find life. Not everybody wins. There are winners, and there are losers. And if we are going to win this race of life, we've got to compete according to God's rules. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can win. No one can come to the Father but by me. There's only one way. And so to be strengthened, Imitate a good soldier who wants to please his commanding officer. Compete by the rules of what the word of God says. That you might be crowned in number three as a farmer. Um, Verse five says this. Or six. It is the hard working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What does that mean? It's the hardworking farmer who is going to reap the benefits of his hard work in, in cultivating that field. There's no such thing as a lazy farmer. Okay? Now, I was going to show you a picture of my garden today. But I chose not to because I'm not a professional farmer, okay? I'm just an amateur. And I've taken a break. And if you look at my garden, you know I've taken a break. But when it comes to the professional farmer and his livelihood, I mean, 
There's no laziness on his part. He knows that he has to work hard every single day in order to earn a living. And as he works hard, guess what? He is able to benefit from the fruits of his labor. Paul is giving us the farmers an example. And the athlete and the soldier. If you want to be strengthened, you need to work at it. You need to be pleasing him. Don't be, don't be shocked by the suffering. You must endure this, Timothy. Now, is Timothy from, from the, Paul's words, are we hearing kind of a works righteousness here? No, not in the least. As we go on in this text this morning, you're going to see that this works, this, this, this desire to please the Lord, to please our commanding officer, to, to work hard, it's all bathed, it's marinated in the gospel. That's where the motivation comes from. It's embedded in the gospel. We want to work hard because of the grace of God in our life, what Christ has done for us. And so over and over, as we not only look at this letter, but all of Paul's letters, everything Paul talks about is grounded in the ministry of the gospel. It's the good news of what Christ has done that makes us or motivates us to want to be our very best for Jesus Christ. So it's not a works righteousness here. It is very much gospel-centered. And so here's what it looks like to be strengthened. Soldier, athlete, farmer. Now, how are we strengthened? Paul gives us three reasons, ways we are to be strengthened. Verse 8, number one, through Christ's work. Look at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Paul is telling Timothy, as you are strengthened, never forget the work of Christ and what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus' resurrection isn't to be celebrated once a year. Jesus' resurrection is to be remembered every single day, church. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. It is His work. It is His power that will help you be strengthened. How often do you remind yourself that Jesus is alive? I didn't remind myself of that very much this week. You can ask my wife. Because I came home drained, grumpy. I was helping our maintenance worker, uh, maintenance man, uh, Jim, uh, put some parking lot lights on, uh, uh, in outside. And I don't know if you've noticed the parking lot lights that we've worked on. They're hard to notice. Because over two and a half days, we only have two lights to show for ourselves right now. <laughs> 
mean, that work has been exhausting. And we still have much left to do. And, uh, and I was out there helping him, um, Monday. Monday I came into the office or was, was told that I needed to address a, a situation that was in crisis with one of our families. That was, that was an exhausting, that day. It's been an exhausting week in, in terms of that. And you know what? I didn't do a very good job at reminding myself that Jesus is alive. That even though I may not have the answer for these things, or even I don't have, even though I don't have the strength and endurance, you know what? Christ can give it to me. And I don't know what your circumstances are, what you're going through, but I, you're here. God's brought you here this morning, friend, to tell you that Jesus is alive. And you need to be focusing on what Christ has done for you. Not only is Jesus alive, but uh, Paul also says he is he is the offspring of David. He he is the long um, he he is the promise that that God made to King David a thousand years before Christ came on the scene. You know, Christ fulfills his promises. And that little phrase there ought to be a huge encouragement for people who are living in places where they have evil, evil kings, evil governments. Church, we serve a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has conquered the grave. And he is the eternal king that God promised to his servant David. A thousand years before Christ came on the scene. When Christ rose again, when Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, Christ became the eternal king that intercedes for you and I with whatever we are going through. Remember Christ's work. That's part of his grace of helping us to be strengthened. Not only are we to remember Christ's works, but we are to remember Christ's words. Verses 9 and 10. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul's in prison. Paul knows he ain't getting out. That he's going to die in that prison. And even though physically he may be in chains, you know, guess what? The word is not in chains. The word is not bound and it continues to go forth. Paul's imprisonment is not in vain. And we looked at this last week. God has a purpose in it. It's going to mean his eventual death but this word is going to continue to go forth. It may look like Paul's losing. Paul's not losing. The gospel's not losing. It is alive. It is active. And it is very well. My friend, do you want your life to be an eternal influence? 
do you want your influence to far outlive your life? Keep believing the word. The word is not bound. And it is going to go from generation and generation and generation. It is always going to be there. You know, I said this before, but, uh, you know, when it comes to, um, for our, to our rewards, when we get to heaven, that's not going to be our rewards. We're not going to be rewarded until the end of time. Why is that? It's because that even after our death, our good works can continue. And we are going to be rewarded for those. Here Paul, here Paul is writing these words. Paul's been dead for 2,000 years. But guess what? Paul's good works continue. And it's only at the end of time that we're going to be rewarded for our good works. I don't have time to talk about uh, Susan's grandfather this morning. She never met her grandfather. But her grandfather was a godly man who passed his influence onto his daughter, who then passed his influence onto his children, uh, their children, their children's children. And guess what? Susan's grandfather's godly influence continues on even today through his great, great, great grandchildren. The word of God is not bound. I just want to encourage some of you parents here this morning who you were faithful in passing on the faith to your kids. And, and right now in this moment, you know, they're not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this weighs you down. I just want to encourage you that God's not done writing their story. There's still a lot to be written. And you keep believing the word of God is not bound. As I was preparing this message, I came across this illustration Uh, This week, it was found in a book entitled An Answered Prayer from Stalin's Times, uh, entitled The Chariot. And when Stalin was in power in the 30s, he had uh, all the Bibles uh, confiscated. And when communism fell, there was this uh, missions organization that came into this uh, community um, I have the the name of this town written down. I don't see it here right now. But um, as this uh, missions organization was distributing no, more Bibles, new Bibles, they were they found themselves running out of Bibles. And uh, there was an individual in this town who uh, remembered that when Bibles were confiscated, they were put in this one warehouse uh, there in this one location. And so this missions organization hired some uh, younger guys in the community to go and uh, 
get these Bibles and distribute those in the community. Well, the organization hired one uh, hostile college skeptic. He needed a job, so uh, he went with the other guys and uh, picked up these Bibles. But shortly after um, <clears throat> gathering these Bibles, that college skeptic uh, kind of disappeared. And people were wondering, where did this guy go? And uh, a little bit later, they found him in this in the corner of a warehouse in tears reading this Bible because the first Bible he picked up was his grandmother's Bible who had written in this Bible that she was praying for her grandson who was now reading this Bible. Church, the word of God is not bound. You Keep believing his word. You keep holding on to the promises of God. Jesus is alive and well. He is resurrected. And his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And he can use it far better than you can at just the right moment in your child's heart. Don't Give up. Keep enduring. Keep trusting him. And that's what Paul did. He kept enduring. Here he was in in prison. He knew he was going to be executed. But he continued to endure. Look at verse 10. I endure everything for the sake of the elect they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is doing all of this. He's suffering for the gospel for the sake of the elect. Now remember this about that particular doctrine. We looked at that last week in chapter 1, verse 9. Paul tells us that before the foundations of the world, um, he chose us. He made us his own. He's given us a purpose by his grace. And so Paul knows that there's an elect, but Paul doesn't have the attitude, well, since uh, God already knows who he's going to save, I really don't have a responsibility here, and I'm just going to trust him, and I don't have to say another word. And that is not Paul's heart whatsoever. He continues to suffer for the sake of the gospel. He doesn't know who the elect is. That doesn't matter. He is continuing to be a good soldier, an athlete, a hardworking farmer. Why? Because of the grace of God in his life, because Jesus is alive because of the word that is not bound. He is not ashamed of the gospel. We have, all have a responsibility, church. We can't use that excuse, the doctrine of election, for not saying anything. Paul didn't buy into that. He knew he still had a responsibility to please the one 
who had enlisted him. This is our responsibility. So we're strengthened by his, with his grace through Christ's work, through Christ's word, and then finally through Christ's character. Verses 11 through 13, we see the faithfulness of God. Paul says this in verse 11, this is a trustworthy, uh, this saying is trustworthy. And then he goes on to quote, uh, verses 11, 12, and 13. What, what is he quoting from? Well, interpreters say that, uh, he's most likely quoting from a hymn that the early church would sing. And most likely at baptism. So look, listen to the, the words of the, of this song. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul, in this, in quoting this, gives us two, two positives. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we, he will also, we will also reign with him. He gives us two positives there. And then he gives us then two negatives. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Church, I've been guilty for misinterpreting verse 13. I have often said to many different groups that even if you're unfaithful, if you're a Christian and, and you are unfaithful, God's still faithful because he can't deny himself. And you know what? That's true on one sense. You know, if we are temporarily unfaithful and we all blow it and you go back and you read lots of different personalities in the Bible, there were a lot of personalities who blew it. But they were convicted by what they had done and they repented and continued on that narrow path. I think Paul's talking about here people who have just shipwrecked their faith. I mean, the context of Second Timothy is really about is about enduring, and there are some people who have just walked totally walked away from the faith. And he mentions several names. And I think Paul is referring to those individuals here. Because verse 12, the end of verse 12 says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because he can't deny, he's going to be true according to verse 12. 
because he cannot deny himself. And so I think this song was an important reminder to the early church that it is really important, church, that we endure for the sake of the elect, that we endure suffering. Because the consequences of not enduring, the consequences of walking away are very serious. And there are some people who have walked an aisle, who have prayed a prayer, and they have convinced themselves that they're good, you know, that, that God's going to, even though they're not faithful, God's going to be faithful. And even though they're denying him now through their words and their lifestyle, you know, he's still faithful. That's not what this passage is saying here. God will be faithful to do what he said he will do if they continue to deny him. You may have a different interpretation. I used to. But I've learned differently today. So what what's the point? What's what's the application from this passage very quickly this morning? Number 1. Count the cost of discipleship. Take it seriously. Be strengthened, Christian, like an athlete, like a farmer, like a soldier. The second point of application is apostasy is real. And we need to heed its warnings. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't go there. Don't be like these these two guys in verse 15. Don't be like the people in Asia who have abandoned me. Be like Onesiphorus. Be faithful. Follow in his example, Timothy. Take this relationship with our Lord and Savior seriously to the very end. You are in it to win it, Timothy. Church, we need to be in it to win it. That means we can't take it casually. I think your third application is that endurance is a team sport. We need each other. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. If we have died, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. We need each other. We need to come together corporately 
Not once out of the month or twice out of the month. If you're here in town, you need to be here every single week to be encouraged, to encourage others to take his call seriously in our life. We need to be reminded that he is alive. And he is here for you. And his word is real and can empower you. It's not bound if you're not showing up, I mean, I'm the preacher. And I know how tired I got this week because I wasn't reminding myself of his resurrection in my life. I can imagine how tired and exhausting you get if you just treat this time each week as is, well, I'll take it or leave it. It's optional. It's not optional. We need this time with each other. Worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus. This is a teen sport. And then when it comes to verse 1, be strengthened and the grace, both are necessary. You need to do your part, hard work, And you need to rely on his grace. And you will endure to the very end. Let's pray. Where are you at this morning? What do you need to be reminded of this morning? His resurrection? His word? His character. He's faithful. Christian, he's not going to deny himself. He is going to be there for you. Keep trusting him. What area of your life do you need to work harder at? Being more like Soldier, athlete, farmer, each one of those, it's not easy. God wants to help you. Take your responsibility seriously. This morning, just ask him, God, you know how I've let you down. I know how I let him down this week. I suffered the consequences. But my, how I needed this passage. How I need him. So do you. And we need each other. Be in it to win it. Father, I thank you for your word, for its power. 
for its boundless, timeless principles. God, I know that there's some parents who are concerned about their children. God, it's out of their hands, but it's not out of yours. Your word is still active and sharp. I pray that, Father, that you would just help your servants continue to be faithful, to endure to the very end. And God, may their example, their life, just as Paul's and yours, Lord Jesus, continue to speak volumes beyond our years of influence. You can do that, Lord, and we're trusting you. Thank you for this time we've had to hear this morning. Use it in each life that's here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.